Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome back to the Showtime with Roman podcast, the not-so-feature-length podcast that is actually running feature-length most of the time. I am back with the 30th, oh my goodness, 30 whole episodes of this podcast, plus some special episodes. I hope you guys checked out uh, my Oscar special with Tristan and Paul. Big, long episode cut down into two parts, breaking down all of that crazy, controversial goodness going on with the Academy Awards. But this week, oh boy, this week, we, oh my goodness, right after I finished recording with Rob last week, I'm kidding you not, tons and tons of news dropped. We're going to get right into it here, but I am joined uh, by Texas's very own David Perez. David, how's it going, man? What's up, dude? It's all good. Over how's here. your day been? Um, <laughs> my day's been pretty calm. Uh, I woke up this morning and I had the day off, so I just went ahead and bought some tacos. And oh man, yeah, I came back home tacos. and got ready for the podcast. And I'm gonna yeah, go. I love me some tacos, man. Yeah, for sure, for sure. And <laughs> well, later on after this, I'm gonna go visit my friend. Sweet, sweet. Sounds like you got a nice uh, middle of the week planned. Um, I myself, man, I am running on two hours of sleep, like I said, before the show started. I'm tired. I'm pardoned in advance, you know, pardon the fact that I'm probably going to stumble over a lot of words. I might lose my train of thought ahead of time. But man, I'm gassed and I'm ready to go. Are you ready? We got a lot of news to cover, man. Yeah, man, let's go. All right, sweet. So first up, Christopher Nolan is one of my favorite filmmakers, and ever since Dunkirk, I was super excited to see what he was going to do next, and even just to hear. And literally, again, right after I finished recording with Rob, the first thing I saw on Facebook and Twitter, all the social medias, is that Christopher Nolan's next film is scheduled for July 17th, 2020, which is formatted for IMAX screens, and it's being described as an event film. So I ask you, what would you like him to direct? Uh, would you like it to be based off any pre-existing IPs, any sort of genres you'd like to see him tackle? Um, right. So when I first heard the news, well, I, I heard that uh, Nolan's next film was scheduled. So I was just kind of like, oh, I kind of expected like a smaller budget film. Because I feel like okay. at this point, I feel Nolan has kind of done enough. Well, not I don't want to say enough, but he's done plenty of, you know, these big budget films for like the cinematic experience, I probably thought mm -hmm. he would be in this space where he would want to go and now do something smaller. So I kind of expected that. And okay. well, as I read it and I, you know, they described it as an event film, it's for IMAX screens. They, um, I kind of just thought, well, maybe it's just like a, one of those concept sci-fi films on the level of Inception kind of. So that's what I'm kind of mm -hmm. expecting from it. With with Nolan, you can't you don't really know what to expect, which is kind of a special <laughs> thing about him, you know. Yeah, exactly. You know, it, it's funny that I am a huge fan of science fiction, so I'd love to see him go back to that because I love Dunkirk. I personally think it's probably his second best film um, out of all of them, and this is gonna be his eleventh film. Uh, my friend Jake actually made a really good point where he said that. For a while, there was talks of Nolan doing uh, an American remake of Akira. Um, and I don't know if Akira would be an event film per se, um, but I would really like to see what he would do with that type of film because have you seen Akira at all? Uh, do you know anything about it? I know about it, but I haven't seen it. I know it's like probably one of the most um, inspiring anime films, but that's pretty much all yeah, I know it, about it. 
It, it definitely is. And I'm actually writing an article on that uh, this week, which should be out at the end of the week. But um, yeah, I can kind of see that because it's a movie that is kind of grounded in its science fiction roots. It's a lot like Blade Runner early on. And then it sort of evolves into like a superhero movie. Not a, not in the way that we think of a superhero movie, just that there's a lot of crazy things going on uh, with a lot of crazy powers and stuff like that. So maybe that could be it. I doubt it personally. I think it's going to be something original. Um, I don't think it's going to be horror either. I don't think he's someone that uh, wants to dive into that genre. Um, and I, I, I don't really know what to expect. I don't think it'll be based off of any pre-existing IPs. But if it were, I think it'd be Akira. And if not, I think he's going to do something... Uh, probably science fiction related. He seems to love that genre. Yeah, and um, I'm kind of anticipating to see maybe he's working with his brother Jonathan. Jonathan. Nolan. Yeah, yeah. He, I'm excited for whatever they do. Honestly, he's one of my favorite filmmakers, and usually when they collab, it turns out pretty good. Uh, so sweet. Moving on to another director, but man, this director is not as beloved as Christopher Nolan. In fact, he is one of the most divisive directors. He's one of my personal favorite directors, but it turns out that Zack Snyder is directing a zombie heist film set in Vegas, and it's going to be released on Netflix early next year. I'm going to just go up, start first here, but um, I obviously, like I said, I'm a huge Zack Snyder fan. Um, and I think what they did to what he was working on in justice league was a little frustrating for him, obviously, because that was kind of his, little trilogy uh quote unquote because you know he was working with those characters for so long and to kind of see his vision get butchered he hasn't even seen the film um is really upsetting and to kind of see wb just kind of push him out you know due to an unfortunate unfortunate circumstance that came up in his life is really crappy thing to do um but to see him just kind of go to something as small as netflix not that netflix is small per se but to just kind of take his vision and just root it in something not quite as big as a Batman v Superman or Man of Steel. I mean, a zombie heist film set in Vegas sounds absolutely batshit crazy, but it sounds right in Nolan's wheelhouse where he's going to be able to use all those amazing techniques, the crash zooms, the style, the color palette. Uh, He just has a really great vision for the medium, and I really can't wait to see what he uh, brings together in this film. It sounds insane. I really hope it gets a lot of buzz because he's one of the most amazing filmmakers working right now, I feel. And a lot of people love working with him. Uh, so I hope it turns out. Okay. Netflix worries me a bit, uh, but it's Zack Snyder. So I have a lot of trust and faith in him. What are your thoughts on this? Um, I pretty much echo a lot of what you just said, you know, like before the story broke, it's kind of funny because I was about to go on Facebook and post um, that. I, w- I was about to predict that uh, Zack Snyder, would probably be the next director to join the Netflix club. And lo and behold, like, really? yeah, and like, just, I just get on <laughs> and I see the news just like, wow. I was like, oh, that's pretty awesome. I just predicted the future. But yeah. I've... Yeah. Can you post that? I'm going to get a million dollars soon. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead. No, well, yeah. I mean, um, I think to me, this is pretty big news for Netflix because, you know, I think they gave, I read that they gave them a $90 million budget for this. Oh, it's, oh, I didn't even see that. Are you kidding well, me? Well, it's expected to be in the range of a $90 million. So I was that's like, still that's a lot of yeah. money. And in the article, in the Hollywood Reporter article, Zack Snyder pretty much mentions that like no one's ever let me this loose before. And I thought that was just so badass. Yeah, I think, uh, wow, I didn't even know that. Now I'm even more excited just thinking about the fact that Zack Snyder unleashed 
That's what I like to hear because I recently rewatched Sucker Punch, which isn't beloved. And I watched it the first time. Well, like most of his films are not really beloved. Um, and the first time I saw it, I wasn't a big fan, but I rewatched it. And that was kind of just all Zack Snyder. WB kind of let him do whatever he want. No restrictions, mm-hmm. all original, all that stuff. So now that you say that, they gave him the budget. It's on a huge streaming service where if Roma wins Best Picture – this is going to change everything. And for Zack Snyder to be like one of the next big filmmakers after a Martin Scorsese, not saying he's on that level. Don't freak out at me, any, anyone listening to this. Um, but for Zack Snyder to kind of come in and be let loose on a streaming service that literally just won best picture. If it does, that's huge, man. That's insane. Um, any other thoughts on this? Um, well, I kind of just want to add that. I like how he kind of described this as like a palate cleanser. Or his mm, in his yeah. catalog, you know. I mean, because I mean, uh, Snyder's been kind of in superhero world for like a little over ten years, maybe about ten years. And I think yeah. it's, it's a good thing for him to just go back to his roots, to his like horror roots, and just let loose and something. You know what I mean? Yeah. Have you seen his Dawn of the Dead remake? Uh, yeah, I have. I've I've seen all of his films, but the only one that I need to revisit was. The Legend of the Guardians. Yeah, I wasn't a fan of that one personally, but a lot of people seem to like it. But yeah, I, I'm excited for him to tackle something just a, a little bit smaller by comparison to the last couple films he's done. I seriously cannot wait. So um, moving on, uh, last week, Rob and I talked about the, the trailer for the Zac Efron, Ted Bundy biopic. I'm not going to try and regurgitate the title because it's going to drive me crazy. Um, awful title. But Netflix is actually acquiring that film, um, and they're expecting it for a fall release, and they are pushing Zac Efron for awards consideration. Um, what, are your, what are your thoughts on this? This is some interesting stuff. Um, well, at first, I was kind of wondering uh, – they paid $9 million for that. And I feel like, well, I don't know if that's a little too low or maybe it's just like a win. Well, I mean, it's a win if they're going to give it like an awards push, right? Well, I'm glad yeah, they're of actually course. giving it an awards push. Because I mean, it means that they have faith in it. Yeah, I, I don't know what to make of this. Um, again, like I mentioned previously, it, is that Netflix, it's kind of hard for me to gauge because I loved Roma. Um, and I've liked like one or two of their other films, but Velvet Buzzsaw came out recently. That was crap. And most of their stuff is just garbage. Um, people have actually seen the film and said it's quite good uh, from most of the people I saw. Some of them weren't too hot on it, um, but all of them have said that Zac Efron is extraordinary. Um, and it's funny that the other day, actually, or yesterday, a team member at work had asked me um, if I feel as if the trailer is romanticizing Ted Bundy. And I talked about this last week, so I'm not really going to explore it much more, but I just find it so interesting that a lot of people feel that they're romanticizing a guy who unfortunately, you know, kind of romanticized himself and sort of made him, he turned himself into sort of this icon that could, uh, abuse his like white privilege to just be like i'm not the guy that's actually doing all these murders and killing all these people i'm a good guy i'm a family man i love women all this stuff you know and it's just kind of interesting to me that that's the dialogue right now um and that people think that just because zach efron is hot that means that the filmmakers think that ted bundy was hot or something like i don't really think i think people are misinterpreting what the trailers were giving off how do you feel about the trailer because you haven't really gotten a chance to talk about that because we talked about that last week um I actually just rewatched the trailer like not too long ago, like 
couple minutes ago. And um, well, I just think like they kind of portray they portray this like whole um, story like uh, oh man, I'm just blanking out right now. No, it's, it's all right. Trust me, I'm going to do it soon too. I guarantee it. No, well, yeah. I mean, they they kind of uh, they portray him as kind of like this charming guy, but the the trailer just um, we all know that there's something darker hidden beneath him, as like he's walking around yeah. like with this facade, you know? Yeah, exactly. And that's the thing is, I saw the way that they kind of conveyed it in the trailer was that this is how people perceive Ted and how his wife looked at Ted and all this stuff. And it just, I'm very curious to see what happens, especially if Efron is being pushed for awards. I mean, I, I mean, 10 years ago, who would have thought that the kid from high school musical was going to be Ted frickin Bundy, <laughs> you know, and, and murdering people left and right. So I'm curious. I can't wait. Netflix concerns me a little bit, but usually when Netflix purchases films off an awards circuit or some type of festival, it usually ends up being one of the better set of films, but their regular produced stuff is just pure garbage. Um, So uh, moving on to another one of my favorite filmmakers, man, just littered with some of my favorite filmmakers today. Edgar Wright is going to be casting Anya Taylor-Joy in his next film, Last Night in Soho. Uh, the genre is going to be psychological horror thriller. Um, first things first, Anya Taylor-Joy is one of the most underrated performers of this generation. Um, it's unfortunate that we're probably not going to see her for a long time in the New Mutants that was she was supposed to that she was in. Uh, but the film is I don't know when that's going to get released. But she has a lot of range. She was in Glass. She was great in Split. And I think she's just a great talent. And one of the big uh, complaints about Edgar Wright is that the way that he's handled his female characters has been pretty poor where he hasn't really focused on them as much for me personally, especially when you look at his uh, Cornetto trilogy, to me, that was just from his, like his type of perspective. Cause filmmaking is all about perspective, of course. Mm-hmm. And of course he's going to focus more on like a male perspective, that male bond that he probably had with someone growing up um, in, during those teenage years. Because whenever I watch the Cornetto trilogy, Shaun of the dead is just pretty immature and and, in just kind of its tone not in terms of filmmaking but also kind of in filmmaking where it it's like one of his first films or his first film and so you kind of see like the roots of what will expand and be perfected in something like hot fuzz where it's kind of that transitional period between the immaturity and that much the mature themes and stuff like that and then in the world's end like that movie is all about growing up and maturing and coming to terms with oneself and accepting the fact that maybe you can't relive the past like you thought you could. So for him to cast Anya Taylor-Joy is really exciting because I would love to see him tackle sort of a new perspective. Um, And I really can't wait to see what he does. His style is so kinetic. Um, Sometimes a lot of his movies kind of peter off in the third act because I feel like it's such an overload um, of just insane stuff going on, kind of like a Quentin Tarantino flick. Uh, But I'm excited personally. I can't wait to see what he does with the psychological horror thriller. What are your thoughts about this statement? Um, well, I, first off, I adore Anya Taylor-Joy. Um, I first saw her in The Witch, and I thought that was pretty crazy. That was a crazy movie. And I think she was she oh, performed really movie. well in that. And then yes. I saw her in the Split, and I didn't recognize her then, but until I started kind of like recollecting The, um, the Witch, 
it all just clicked and I was oh wow she's and you know I just see her nowadays and she's like a rising star mm-hmm. so it's pretty nice to see her like making these moves like she's getting picked up by these directors like Edgar Wright who's established already so I think that's a pretty good move for her and as far as Edgar Wright I think this is another good move for him for him to just like step out of his comfort zone like he's we mostly know him for like action comedies Mm-hmm. And I'm like excited to see uh, what a filmmaker does when they step out of that uh, comfort zone. Like I'm all for that. Like psychological horror yeah. thriller. That sounds right up my alley. Yeah, I, I and I'm not a big horror person. I'm more of a thriller type of person. Uh-huh. And with someone like Edgar Wright, like you said, like a lot of his films are just action comedy. Like Shaun of the Dead has action and comedy. Hot Fuzz is a riff on action comedies. And then of course. Uh, the world's end has a little bit more of science fiction elements, mm-hmm. but even look at Scott Pilgrim, just action comedy. There's nothing else really beyond that. And then of course, baby driver, which is the same thing. And a lot of people thought baby driver two was going to be his next film because that was like his most profitable film and his most accessible film. Uh, so people thought that was for sure going to be next, but to see him again, like you say, step away and just kind of maybe do what Zack Snyder's doing. Just a nice little palate cleanser, yeah. get away from that thing that they're used to doing and just kind of reset. Um, and I'm just really curious i'm down for anything edgar wright does he's one of my favorite filmmakers a lot of his films have just spoken to me in such a unique way as i've gotten older especially the cornetto trilogy uh so i really can't wait any other thoughts on this um not really i mean they don't really give a lot of detail i don't know if they gave like a release date did they no i don't think they did i think it's anticipated for next year maybe um but the at the earliest so um, we'll have to see. Do you think there's any chance over or under 60% Simon Pegg and Nick Frost get a cameo um, or some for- sort of reference? A cameo, I think 100%. Um, okay. If one of them gets casted, I think like 80%. Okay. All right. Sweet. Moving on to something that could take up a lot of our time just because there's a lot to talk about here. So for years, I can't believe it's been years, two years since uh, Batman v Superman and even just over a year and a half since uh, Justice League. Um, But Ben Affleck is officially out as Batman, Bruce Wayne and the DC Extended Universe Warner Brothers is reportedly looking for an actor in their 30s to take over as Bruce or Batman. Uh, Director Matt Reeves, on the other hand, is looking for someone in their 20s. Who would we like to see as Batman in the future of the DC Extended Universe? What are your thoughts on Ben leaving? What are your thoughts on Ben as Batman? We're going to dive into this, man. What do you think? Um, Well, I think first off, it's kind of unfortunate that the plans with Ben Affleck just fell apart, you know? Yes, I, I really liked absolutely. him. I really liked him in the role. I thought he was, I thought it was great. You know, um, whenever they first casted him, I was kind of confused at the whole backlash. I mean, I loved him in. Well, I didn't. I don't want to say I loved him in Daredevil, but I thought he was fine in Daredevil. A lot of that's. <laughs> I, I mentioned Daredevil because that's where a lot of the backlash was focused on. Yeah, of course. And, um, well, yeah, I just think it's sad to see him leave. But I mean, we all need to at some point, you know. We all need to kind of just step away from something and just take a new, take a new route, you know, just yep. wherever the wind takes us, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> um, so uh, well, I was going to say, well, Ben Affix, you know, he, I'm pretty sure he's well off, you know, he's doing well. That's all I was going to say. 
So between WB wanting someone in their 30s and Matt Reeves looking for someone in their 20s, which one would you rather see? Would you rather see a super young Batman that maybe Matt Reeves is trying to push for when Batman becomes younger because comics accurate Batman is in his 30s? Which one would you rather see? Um, Well, I guess it really depends on what they're going for. But if we're asking like what I would rather see, I'll probably I'm probably fine with going with a younger actor, probably like his late 20s. Okay. Late 20s, maybe early 30s. Okay. Um, Is there anyone you want to see specifically? Do you have like a perfect fan cast in your head that you dreamt of since you were a little kid? Um, Uh, For Batman? No, not really. But like uh, a lot of the fan casts that I've been seeing have been pretty legit. Like I saw Army Hammer. If anyone, I think Army Hammer would probably be the person I imagine take, picking up the role. Yeah, and he was originally supposed to be Batman in uh, George Miller. Yeah. Uh, not George. Yeah, George Miller. No. Yeah, George Miller's Justice League. Um, so that'd be interesting he's been to attached, see that kind of come full circle. He's been attached to the franchise for quite a while. I mean, we've, we've even seen, like, photos of him hanging out with Jason Momoa, teasing something. I don't know what. And, and Henry Cavill, too. Yeah. Right? And, like, yeah. Yeah, he's he's kind of just been super involved, and everyone thought he was going to be Green Lantern for a while, which I thought would be a great casting. Yeah, um, I don't think Army Hammer is like one of the twenty to thirty best actors working today, but he's a great talent. Um, so I'd like to see that. Um, me personally, um, I would rather see Matt Reeves' take on someone maybe in their younger twenties, mid twenties, uh, just because I'd like to see a little bit more of. Uh, just some athleticism because when you're in your thirties, you know, you're still pretty athletic. You're in the prime of your career in the late twenties, early thirties, you know, Mm -hmm. but personally I'd like to see a little bit of a younger take because I feel like you can play with a couple more ideas there where Batman is more in more of a naive state. He hasn't quite matured yet because a lot of people say that when you're in your thirties, you know, you've kind of got everything down. Most of the time you've already started your career. In this case, Bruce Wayne's career would be, batman more than anything instead of actually running wayne enterprises so i'd like to see some more naivety some immaturity so i'd like to see matt reese's take because i'm always all for uh, a director having their vision fulfilled over the studio having their vision fulfilled Mm -hmm. Uh, because usually studios are think group or think tank mentalities whereas a director has more of a singular vision that is able to take constructive criticism and finally tune their product so that's what i would want to see on that end who i would like to see as batman and although there's been a lot of quote unquote controversy around this or people think it's insane. I think that this recent surge of Robert Pattinson as Bruce Wayne and Batman to me is ingenious. Obviously he's the twilight guy. He's the vampire. He sparkles, blah, blah, blah. Shut your mouth. He's incredible. He's, he is one of the best actors working right now and everything he's been in since twilight he has just knocked it out of the park he has showcased so much range between good time the rover lost city of z he's a he's coming out in uh, that new claire denis film high life which is he's incredible in he's got a lot of range and i think he's got the charm i think he's got the look i think he could bring some sort of athleticism to the role uh, some personality and just something that i feel personally he would nail if they're going to cast anyone as Batman, I think if above all else, I would love to see Robert Pattinson take over as a younger Batman. Army Hammer's a great choice. I'm not personally a fan of Kit Harrington in terms of uh, talent. He's fine for what he d- gets with in Game of Thrones. But other than that, I don't really see him as someone who can lead a franchise. Um, so personally, Robert Pattinson would be my pick. Uh, yeah, I, how, what do you think about 
Pattinson. I, I've seen the Robert Pattinson love recently, and you know I haven't seen any of the the films that you mentioned where you say he's great in, but I've heard plenty of people say that, and I believe it. Like. I mean, I don't yeah. have, I don't have. He's incredible, man. Yeah, I don't have anything against Robert Pattinson. I mean, I saw him in Twilight, but I don't hold any of that against him. Like, I'm pretty sure he's a, he's a, well-rounded actor. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. The Twilight movies, like, I didn't enjoy them, but I, I didn't enjoy them because Robert Pattinson was bad in them or anything like that. Yeah, I just didn't enjoy the them. material. They, yeah, him and Kristen Stewart have become like these big fan favorites. They're almost like cult classic type of actors where a small group of people are just infatuated with them. I wouldn't say I'm infatuated with Pattinson, but I, when I see great talent, I respect that shit because he's really talented and he just does not get a lot of credit, man. Um, so I really think he could lead a franchise like this and sort of take over as someone who's pretty young and can just dominate that scene for a while. I mean, he is, he's pretty lanky. He doesn't have a lot of muscle, but he can definitely build that up. Um, but I would honestly love to see that, man. Um, in terms of what uh, also Matt Reeves was saying, because what had come out is that Ben Affleck had retweeted that uh, Matt Reeves was announcing that he is going to make a detective-driven Batman film. It should be due out in like 2021 or whatever the hell it was, um, which is still a million miles away, which is crazy to think about, um, which I'm personally fine with. I'd still rather see other stuff than Batman. We get a lot of ba- oversaturation of Batman and content that we consume. Mm-hmm. Um but Affleck retweeted, hey, good luck. Can't wait to see what you do, Matt. And then Matt said, it's going to be more director-driven, due out in 2021. Are you excited about the more detective-driven approach? Uh, oh, do you have yeah. any sort of specifics you'd like to see? Any sort of villains, maybe? Yeah, for sure. I mean, whenever he mentioned that he was going for like a more detective approach, I was so happy to hear that because for years I had been kind of imagining a Batman story that's kind of more grounded, maybe not as much action-packed as we've seen previous Batman stories. I kind mm-hmm. of imagine something more um, like Silence of the Lambs, maybe like uh, Prisoners, you know what I mean? Yeah. Something like yeah. that. And for villains, I would probably put in like the Riddler maybe, because I feel like the Riddler would probably fit in with that type of grounded story. Yeah, and I think that uh, in recently rewatching Batman Forever and writing, you know, my article on it and how I absolutely adore that film, still, even though I adore that film just for how batshit insane it is, is that Jim Carrey's performance as a Riddler is really bad. I think it's awful. Um, I think the character's written terribly too. It's just written more like the Joker. So I would like to see the Riddler, and if possible, if he wants to go double villain here. I would love to see the Riddler and Mr. Freeze get their due properly on the big screen because I think those are two of the most enticing aspects or two of the most enticing villains because or two of some of the Batman's rogues gallery has so many enticing villains. I, mm-hmm. I don't even know what I'm saying at this point, but the Riddler, you know, challenges him mentally. You know, he talks about, you know, the fact that Batman is this guy, you know, let's get inside of his head. You know, he wants to learn about all think that it would be great for a detective driven film because that's such a huge aspect of batman that although we do have these amazing batman films like the dark knight mask of the phantasm stuff like that some of the detective stuff is put on the back burner um and that's a huge aspect of who batman is outside of that athleticism that we see in like batman v superman or justice league you know so i'd love to see that and then with mr freeze you've got someone who love someone that's you know essentially frozen in in ice and 
that's kind of like a good juxtaposition for Batman because he doesn't really fall in love with anyone. He he's a womanizer and stuff like that. So to kind of see Mr. Freeze, you know, fight for something that he loves, literally, that it would be a great juxtaposition for Batman who also fights for what he loves because he loves the city. I don't know. I just personally, I want freaking Mr. Yeah. Freeze. To I think, I think I'm right there with you with those um, two villains. Um, I'm not sure what other Batman villains I would like to see. But, oh, I would like yeah, to see Clayface, sure. Clayface soon, I like, too. I like that, um, that those um, characters that are a little more, I don't know how you would describe them, like, they're a little obscure, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. Like, I would like to see. I know a lot of people want Hush. I think Hush wouldn't be a bad idea. Um, I think that'd be a good introduction story for sure. Um, if you're gonna do an or not an origin, well, it would be an origin if he's in his early twenties. But um, I like to see Hush personally. I would like Clayface too, just because. You know, we're in an age with political intrigue and political drama. I would love to see, like, a detective-driven story about Clayface probably, like, you know, morphing into, like, these political leaders and not causing world-ending problems, but basically destroying the infrastructure. Because the guy, uh, I forget his alias, but uh, Clayface, uh, the guy that turns into him, he was, like, a construction worker, so he's, like, a lower-middle-class American. Uh, so I'd kind of like to see him sort of evolve into like this political figure and sort of destroy like the societal infrastructure and just tear everything down as like this political leader. I think that would be awesome as a detective driven story. And for a young Batman, I don't, maybe <laughs> you should just start writing scripts for hey, Batman. Man, dude. I you, love the character so much. Yeah, If you got a passion um, for it, you should just go ahead. So anything, anything um, else you want to yeah. no, add on I this? Think I'm, I think I pretty much covered what I wanted to say. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Same here. Moving on to another amazing director and an upcoming film. Oh, my God. 2020 and 2021 are just going to be just great years in film. Uh, So we've got Dune. Denis Villeneuve's Dune uh, expands its already loaded cast even more. Uh, It looks like Javier Bardem, Oscar Isaac, who apparently was against christian bale for the same role which would have been even more insane so you've got javier bardem oscar isaac and zendaya joining the cast of dune uh they join timothy chalamet rebecca ferguson dave batista and charlotte rampling along with a couple more but i didn't want to spend 10 minutes rattling off this insane cast what are your thoughts on bardem isaac and zendaya um, joining the cast well, of I, Dune? i dig this cast because it's it to me it's an inspired cast because these are all names that I just don't feel like I'd expected them to see in a movie together. Like, this isn't a great ensemble because, um, like, there's not like the same guy that we've seen in every movie, every summer. Like, like it tells me that they kind of cast it according to what they view their role as, you know what I mean? Like, if that makes sense, you know? Mm, Yeah. Like, um, I mean, I love Dave Batista. He's made making some pretty strong moves lately, and this is another uh, collab with Denis Villeneuve. Um, Dave Batista, he's got like the potential to play. Mm-hmm. He's got some range, you know what I mean? Like he can play like a funny guy. He could be like the yeah, like the I, don't, I guess like a like a brute. Like he's like um, menacing. You know, he could. We don't really know what he. We don't really yeah. get the idea of what he's gonna play, but. That's an inspired choice. These are inspired choices. I like all of these. Yeah. 
Yeah, um, I you, the word choice is right, man. It's just a really inspired cast. I mean, you've got the young up and comers and Chalamet and Zendaya. You've got sort of an unknown still with Rebecca Ferguson, who's sort of become this action star. You've got an all time great character actress in Charlotte Rampling, an all time great character actors in Bardem and Isaac, and then it's just like, and I, that's even just a little bit of the cast there's still more beyond that that it, i didn't even include um i haven't read dune i haven't seen the original dune um i plan to um but i've i have a friend at work or a co-worker at work who's a huge fan of dune um and i've been keeping him up to date with you know the casting and i've sort of shown him the pictures of who they're playing and he said oh my god this this cast is incredible um he said that he thinks that everyone uh for the roles that they're getting seems to be the right fit um now the one thing I will say is that when casts start to get loaded like this, it does concern me a bit. But what, like you said, it feels like an inspired cast because these aren't the typical people you see leading blockbusters. Like Dave Bautista has never really led a blockbuster. And he's not really going to lead here. This is going to be Ch- Timothy's show, Zendaya, because she's like the love interest. Um, and then you've got uh, Charlotte Rampling, who's playing a specific character from another world and shit. And then Rebecca Ferguson, who's like his mom, basically. So it's just, I'm really curious to see what the hell they do. Uh, but it does concern me a bit that this cast is getting really loaded because there's been a lot of the time, a lot of times when I see a lot of great casts that just kind of underwhelm in how they're utilized. Uh, so hopefully Denis manages to do this in the science fiction epic. Um, do you think they're just about done with casting or do you think um, they still have a lot more to put on their plate? I think they still got like a few more casting decisions they'll probably make. They'll probably announce like a few more later on. But um, I mean, you mentioned like how you kind of get worried when casts get like this, like this, um, yeah, this stacked. I was kind of thinking about when you, while you were talking about that, I was kind of thinking about how Blade Runner 2049 was kind of a stack mm. uh, cast li- full of oh, famous yeah, actors. Right. Yeah. So maybe, I mean, I think it's just the magic that Denis Villeneuve could probably do. Like, you know what I mean? With his storytelling. Yeah. Yeah. No, yeah, you're totally right. I didn't, I didn't even think about the fact that Blade Runner 2049, like, maybe it is just the Denis touch because, again, that cast has someone like Harrison Ford, who's A-list. You've got Jared Leto, where although he was in something like Suicide Squad, he's still considered, like, one of the best actors of our generation. Then you've got... uh You've got Robin Wright, and then you've got someone, I forget the actress's name who plays Love, but she's, you know, someone who's just making her name in the industry. And so, and then you've got Ryan Gosling, of course, who to me is still one of the most underrated performers of our time, where he's like this great actor that's amazing and everything he's in, but he never gets the recognition for it. So, I, I trust Denis. He's my favorite filmmaker. I trust that he's going to deliver something exceptional. I just, it's so amazing to me because his entire filmography is incredible. He doesn't have a single bad film. And I think that just kind of comes with the fact <laughs> that this is his next film. And there's just that chance that this might be the one that doesn't mm. hit that mark, which concerns me. But I, I trust him. Uh, he's, yeah. he's Denis. Yeah. Daddy Denis. Um, so. <laughs> yesterday, I was looking for, for Dune because I knew we were going to talk about it. So I was looking for it. Maybe I could go ahead and watch it before we talked about it. But I couldn't find it. It's a hard movie to find. <laughs> Yeah, it's so it's so obscure, and it, apparently it's not good at all. But I would just love to see it, just to get an idea of what I'm going to get into. Because I honestly don't have any idea. I've only ever seen like an image of like a giant mm-hmm. space one. Uh, it was on TV so. once. It was on in the background. I I wasn't really paying attention to it, 
I wish I had though. <laughs> yeah, I, I just I'm so excited, man. I, just more great films from Denis, please. Um, so since we got that's all the news, but since we got through it really quick, um, we can actually just talk about that 30 second Avengers Endgame spot. Um, you saw it right for the, the Super yes. Bowl spot. Okay, so let's just briefly recap that because there's not really much to go over. Um, personally, I thought it was a decent teaser. I thought it did everything it needed to as a Super Bowl spot. It got people talking. Um, it got people that didn't know about it to know about it because although the ratings were super low, millions of people still watch. Um, it just was a lot of character shots again, a couple different lines here and there. There was a great line about uh, most people give up, I think, not us. Um, and then there's a shot of a poster that says, now that they're gone, where do we go? And it was like a shot of a just like – so that was – we got a little bit of insight into the world, the ramifications, what happens after the snap from Infinity War. And then that's the most. In- Hello? There's nothing really in this tease outside of that. That. Uh, yeah, it's because you were cutting off a little so that- bit. <laughs> oh, sorry, sorry. Maybe my mic freaked out. Okay, so I'll edit that out. Um, but. Yeah, I thought that um, it was pretty enticing just in terms of how we see those ramifications. But outside of that, I mean, it's just more character shots. And I guess, like, even though I'm not a big fan of this universe, character shots are kind of like, okay. Like, I kind of want to see a little bit more, like, some action shots maybe or something just a little more enticing because I know that they're not trying to reveal a lot. And I know they they just announced that it's probably going to be three hours, but... I don't know. I just would like to see a little bit more. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I'm exci- I'm enticed definitely by how they're going to handle uh, outside the realm of the Avengers, how the world is responding and not just um, the Avengers. I so what are your thoughts on the trailer? For a TV spot, you know, I mean, we don't really – TV spots are not really that long. I mean, they, it didn't give us enough uh, – it didn't give us a lot of information, but it was enough to just kind of like keep us hooked into this marketing that they're doing. Um I the trailer it starts off with a uh, with shots of the cities with like it's very it's a very bleak trailer you know and yeah I saw shots of like the characters maybe we'll, we kind of get a glimpse of what their mindset is I think there was a shot of uh, I think her name yeah. was Agent Fourteen or Agent Thirteen Agent, okay or Agent 13. Carter right Sharon right. Carter okay that's it. Yeah, no, yeah. Oh, well, yeah. There was, there was a shot of her in like a, <laughs> doing some target practice. She was walking towards the targets, kind of probably out of frustration. No, I think that's kind of like where the mindset of all these characters are. They're a little, they're a little um, lost. I guess that's the way to put it. Yeah. Yeah, I'm. I'm excited. I'm I'm excited to see what they do, and excited to see more, and for this movie to come out, and yeah. we'll see if it's three and hours. That last shot, um, we'll see. That, um, so, um, that right. last that last shot no, was go pretty ahead. good too. Like it, I kind of offered like a glimmer of hope in this whole, like I said, like a bleak trailer with like the yes remaining characters walking yeah. across like a hangar. It looks like in the Avengers base. But yeah, I thought it was cool. Yeah. Yeah. Sweet. Moving on to the discussion topic. Now, this one is going to be touchy. Um, So two days ago, um, Liam Neeson, one of the most beloved, one of the most talented actors of our time, has a film coming out, uh, Cold Pursuit, 
Uh, comes out tomorrow night. Uh, it's like a revenge sort of thriller, typical to what you would see in something like Taken. Um, I heard it's a little more self-aware and a little more silly, and Neeson kind of embraces the tropes that defined him over the last couple of years. Um, but strangely enough, he must have thought he was at a confessional. Um, in an interview with Independent for Cold Pursuit, Neeson said that a while back, after he got back from an overseas trip, a family member of his was raped by a black man. And then Neeson spent the next week or so hunting a quote-unquote black bastard in hopes of killing that person. Neeson followed up these comments a day later saying, I'm not a racist. So that's just the general premise. I'm not going to dive super deep into it and read the entire quote, the entire uh, exchange. But this is one of the most insane things I've ever seen. Um, Obviously, Liam Neeson is a great talent. Obviously, this would happen longer ago when he was a little bit younger. Um, and I'm going to I'm kind of glad that, you know, you're on this week. I'm obviously glad that you're on because you're a great person and you're a great movie fan and you're intelligent, but also because you're a person of color. And I think that from your perspective, when you read this or heard about it, um, what was your initial thought? Mm. Well, I thought my first initial thought was this was kind of this revelation was um, bizarre, I guess. <laughs> yeah, real like it's yeah, it's, so an, it's an extreme revelation, you know. And <laughs> but um, <laughs> yeah, I I guess I like I tried when I first saw it. I just I just thought like, oh, it's another actor just doing another crazy thing or. You know, but so I just kind of like skimmed over it yeah. when I read, when I saw the news. But then like um, I went back and I like looked at it a little, a little more. Um, yeah, it's to me, the thing that stood out the most is that first off, why in the hell did he confess this to a reporter? He even says that when he's saying this story, he's like, you know, I can't believe I'm saying this to a reporter right now. God forbid. Like, what? Yeah. Like, dude, are you all right? Like, <laughs> are you off the shits or something? Like, so um, what stood out to me that was really appalling was that it, the way he sort of conveyed the information is that he said that he basically, like, was looking for any black person to cause a problem or to en- encourage or uh, 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 or antagonize, sorry, just so he could kill them, like any person, just for some form of like emotional racist release. I, I, it, it's so weird to me because, like, the thought process, and you know, I'm not excusing you know his his pursuit of action during that time, but people react differently when hearing of something traumatizing, especially to someone like a family member. And it was just alleged that it was a black man, and that's what this family member had said. And I would. I don't know if I would believe that person or not. I don't know them. Um, But it's just, it's bizarre to me and really appalling and really jarring that one of the most, what seemed like one of the most nicest and most genuine people of all time went as low as literally hunting down a black person just so that he could kill them in, in search of some form of emotional release. So why do you think he confessed this? Because I kind of saw it as him just trying to get something off his shoulders but okay, terrible so, timing. Well, as I as I was reading it, um, he confessed this because um, 
a reporter asked him like how he taps into roles of characters that seek revenge and how he how he just gets into that mindset and i guess i guess the way he replied mm-hmm. to that was he recalls this um this moment in his life where he would where he would go and do this and um well as yeah that's pretty much why he said it but i guess as i tried to look further and like a little more why he was comfortable with it cuz and he wants to he wants to talk about like uh he mentions that i mean the point that i see him trying to make is that he wants to encourage people to address themselves acting in ignorance i guess you know mm okay now would cuz there's been a lot of backlash towards Neeson to where people aren't going to support their film or support the upcoming film or the rest of his films that he makes uh a theater chain has actually pulled cold pursuit from screenings um are you are you more forgiving of Neeson do you feel as if he's grown does it feel genuine um, i mean he mentions that it was 40 years ago so i think um the best thing for him to do is kind of just accept this backlash Because, I mean, there's no way of defending this, you know? Yeah. If if anything, like, if he's going to show growth, it would probably be through that. Like, he won't really fight it. Yeah, I I feel the same way. You know, it's... It's really unfortunate because, again, he's so beloved. And personally, like, it happened so long ago that this is kind of one of those things in an age where people are bringing up, like, random tweets from years ago and trying to pin it on the person now after they've grown from those things. Like, James Gunn, you know, stuff like that. It's like, I think that Neeson, what he was searching for was just kind of, again, like you said, like, people learning something from an event like that. Do I feel... Is if he's grown, yes. Is is he a racist? I mean, there has to be some sort of implicit or some sort of internal like you can't really get rid of something like that, can you? Maybe you can, and I and I don't know. Maybe I don't want to speak for anyone that definitely has gone through an arc like that. But right now, as a person that I know him as, I wouldn't say that he is because it feels like it's something that he's learned from. It's something that he's accepted. It's he's critiquing himself. He's acknowledging that it was a very shitty thing to do and a very low point for himself. So even though it's batshit insane and even though it would imply that he is was a racist, that it's just a really strange scenario. And I don't know if I want to spend too much more time on it in case I say something wrong or something way out of line, I guess, but it's just I don't know. It's such a weird scenario. And personally, on my end, based off of everything that I've read, everything that he said, how he kind of feels and how he conveyed it, um, I I would say that even though it's bizarre, you know, I think that what we can learn from this is that in the last two years between Harvey Weinstein, Kevin Spacey, Brian Singer, all these people, is that, you know, we go to the movies to, quote unquote, escape from our own reality. You know, we want to be entertained by new worlds. And at the same time, it simultaneously gives us something to apply to our reality outside of that theater. Right. And the way that we perceive actors, actresses, um, 
all these people, directors, producers, as these sort of mythological figures. You know, I think that within the past couple of years, I've really learned to just realize that these people, they're just as human as all of us. They're gonna, some are going to be shitty. Some are going to be genuine. Some are going to make mistakes. Some aren't going to learn from their mistakes. And there, I was watching the Hollywood Reporter roundtable. I forget what, with, uh, whether it was with directors or actors, but someone had said that, you know, people, I think it was Chadwick Boseman, actually. He said that a lot of people look at, you know, Hollywood as like, oh, these are just prestigious, luxurious people. But he said, no, we're like, this is like blue collar work. We're always looking for work. We're having to work long days you know, stuff like that, getting in and out of character. And people think it's easy, but it's not. And I think that what we can learn from an event like this within the last couple of years is that maybe maybe it's time that we just move on from crystallizing these people in this sort of mythological viewpoint because they're not, not a lot of them are great people, not a lot of them are bad people. But at the same time, I think we just need to start accepting that although we see these movies is these luxurious grand things that they're just mm-hmm. as human as all of us. Um, um, do you have any more thoughts on this? Well, I mean, I guess just to go back to say, like, maybe there is room for forgiveness, but, I mean, after this, I can't really view him the same, you know? I mean, I don't think yeah, I have too. anything against Liam Neeson, but, like I said, like, the best thing for him to do is just keep his mouth shut from now, from here on. Like, he had, he admitted that it was wrong. Yeah. He, I from his body language, I saw his Good Morning America interview, and from like the way he says, I I can read him that he say he knows that it's just it wasn't right, and he mentions that he kind of like back in that back in the day when that all was occurring, after that happened, um, he he seeked help from my I assume from like a therapist mm-hmm. or something. He found ways to just like, you know, shed shed that um, weight off of him, that guilt off of him. I guess. Um, no, I th- I just think I don't know. It's up to it's up to everyone to just see if they forgive him or not. I mean, there's no really no defense for this. <laughs> Yeah, it's a tough one. So, all right. Well, David, we made it. And we got through this a lot more efficient than I thought we would. I thought we were just going to spend so many minutes, 10 minutes a piece on each thing. But we, great job, man. Great episode. Uh, Is this your I first time podcasting? Caleb a long time ago. Oh, I think I heard that yeah, episode. It was about I think I remember listening to I did to one with that. Caleb. And I think I was falling asleep a little bit. <laughs> That's, I didn't mention it to him, but... I was a little embarrassed. But yeah, I did one with Caleb. Yeah. Caleb and Vedan. <laughs> no, man, but yeah, you did a you did a great job, man. Uh I'm glad I had you on. Um offered a lot of great insight and uh different perspectives on things and I that's really what this podcast is about is bringing on new people every week just to hear something a little bit different. Um and uh so this is it. This is the end. Uh where can people find you on the internet? Are you creating any sort of movie-related content out there or any sort of music-related content, anything? Drawing? You said you draw, um, so are you drawing anything special? No, I just draw on my, like, free time and stuff. But if anything, if people want to follow me on Facebook, I'm on Facebook just sharing a whole bunch of nonsense. Um, yeah, and, you know, I think 
soon I'm going to help out a friend with a short film he's making. Yeah. And oh, that's cool. Yeah. I uh, helped uh, my, one of my f- former coworkers help make his short film. Uh, I kind of just helped put together like uh-huh. the set for most of his shots. And I was like, man, this is really cool stuff. So keep going. Oh, no, Sorry, I, think I, that's, I think that's, I think that's all I have to say. All right. Well, every like every week, you guys know where you can find me. Uh, you can find my new website, rbcmovies.wixsite.com slash Showtime Roman. Once again, that is rbcmovies.wixsite.com slash rbc or Showtime Roman. Um, you can also obviously find the podcast everywhere on you know iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Anchor, all that stuff, and then. Uh, I'm working on my Akira article this week for Sorry But, uh, a series, monthly series dedicated to highlighting films that I just don't think are quite as good um, as other people do. Uh, so they're generally like two and a half out of five or like a two out of five movies that I just don't like. But man, people love them. Uh, and uh, that's pretty much it. Um, next week, I'm back to the video essay grind. Uh, I am finishing up my video, my 2018 top 15 movies tomorrow. Um, and that should be it. I anticipate that I'm still going to convince myself to see Cold's Pursuit tomorrow. Um, but I might leave that up to you guys on social media uh, to vote before I see the film tomorrow. Because it's a pretty, I don't know if I want to give money to Liam Neeson right now. So um, that's it for this week's episode of the Showtime with Roman podcast. Thank you, David, for being on once again. And thank you all of you listeners uh, for tuning in each and every week more to come in the future. And I can't wait to dish out all this content to you. Thank you. I'll see you in the future.